Welcome back, everybody, to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined by Tommy, and this today is going to be a pre-March Madness episode, so a lot about the draft. And Tommy, I know that's something that really excites you. Yeah, I mean, when you think about where the Pistons have been for the past decade and where they have been recently because of the draft and because of their commitment to uh, their rebuild strategy, it's it's easy to get excited about. I think the draft is one of the simplest ways to make significant improvements to your team uh, without spending a lot of money, without costing a lot of assets. Uh, it's a little bit painful, but you know this is how you kind of cope with the ugly basketball that we've seen lately. Uh, well, not so much super recently, but you know over the course of the year, we've gone through some really ugly stuff, and this is how I like to deal with it. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, I mean, it's a question. The subject we can talk about before we get to the actual draft stuff itself it concerns the draft and where the Pistons are going to ultimately end up, and that relates to how the Pistons have been doing lately in the standings. I believe that they're six and four in their last ten, and uh, that's gotten them out a little bit ahead. They're, they're only about, uh, I think, they're one game ahead of the Rockets at this point. They're two games behind Oklahoma City. So I know the question has been floated around. You know, do the Pistons? start resting guys in order to encourage losses as they did last year? Or is there something to, I don't know, gathering momentum perhaps into next season? I mean, I know we, we, we persistently Pistons fans heard the words winning culture from Tom Gores over the last 10 years. Uh, but uh, yeah, do you think that, I mean, I already pretty much, I think know what you're going to say, but do you think there's any merit at all to the idea of generating momentum or building a winning spirit or anything like that at the cost of, you know, losing games for the sake of draft position. Yeah, I, I do think there is something to it. I don't think it's as valuable maybe as some people would say, like if you're really down on, you know, your team's future and the way things are going, I think it can lead to, you know, temp, uh, tempers flaring, uh, you know, tensions boiling over, that sort of thing. But at the same time, you know, I don't think a few extra wins uh, are going to, you know, make a such a significant difference in terms of your winning culture i think it's really more the way that the team has been constructed as is uh, in terms of like the personalities i think that's much more relevant to uh, the winning culture argument or the cult the team culture argument and on that front i think we're actually in a really good spot so you know if the if you are in the camp of you know we should win as many games even now down the stretch uh, it's not that i think that's like a terrible idea it's just i don't see the point, like we're already here, we've come this far, so I don't know why you would want to, you know. I think at this point it's best to just see it through. Uh, we're already, what, 80% of the way through the season, more than that, maybe, close. And Sounds so I, I just don't see the merit of it. Yeah, I got to agree with you there. Uh, I mean, we've read, for example, like uh, James Edwards at The Athletic posted a good article about this, about how the team is doing behind the scenes, how much of a part of that Dwayne Casey is. We've pilloried Dwayne Casey a great deal on the show, and I, I stand by a lot of that in terms of his coaching. But his players like him. His players have always liked him. And and that seems to be a factor in the locker room nowadays and, and probably throughout the could you know, in, in terms of the rebuild, in terms of keeping a team that is constantly losing in a good mental state. And also Troy Weaver, of course, drafts for character, certainly. Uh, character is a big thing in his draft calculations. I'm sure that's had an impact as well. There are really just no guys on the team whom you would think, well, this guy might be a malcontent or this guy's super selfish or whatever else. So it's there. I got to agree with you. You know, it's nice to have the team, I guess, maybe feel a little bit galvanized by winning games versus just losing constantly. Like the Pistons lost 14 in a row earlier in the season. I'm sure that's hard on the players. At the same time, I just think that draft position is going to be worth so much 
so much more moving forward. And you know, if you're the worst team in the league, are you guaranteed top three pick? No, you got the same odds as a top at, at a top three pick as uh, the number two and number three or 29th and 28th, but you're guaranteed to drop no longer than five. And that's very nice. Right. Um, honestly, in this draft, it might not even be that big of a deal. Last year in that draft, I mean, it was considered a top four, top five draft. Uh, mm-hmm. That one, it was pretty critical uh, that you were picking high. This one, I think you'll agree with me, past a certain point, I think it. you could say it matters less. And I don't think that this one is so... It's not as well established, you know, further on, like past the top three or top four. Um, I think guys could go have much wider, you know, draft ranges in this in this one. So maybe it's not as big of a deal. But what I really want is those top three, uh, those those top odds for the the number one pick. I think if you're if yeah. you let OKC catch up to you, like that's a disaster. That's I bad. feel like for me at least, as long as we finish bottom three, uh, I'm okay. But I would happily take that, you know, that locked in top six or top five pick. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, I, I've got to say when it comes to, if I had to make a choice, I would say I would rather be locked into top five than have the possibility of picking six. Like even though, even if this is really a top two draft between Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith, and who knows, maybe somebody else will really impress in March Madness, like in, in the NCAA tournament. And, and, and then, you know, you'll have another guy in the top three there, but I don't know how likely that is. And you've got, of course, have to have a deep run to make that happen. But like, yeah, it's like you said, the Pistons are at the end of a losing season, a season in which things went really wrong. A lot of things went wrong for the Pistons to be as bad as they have been. And just capitalize on that at this point. I I don't think that I don't really buy into the notion of winning culture, so to speak. I think you got to have the right guys. Those guys are who make up your culture. You know, it's really the personnel who are going to set the culture. All these guys want to win. Like you're not going to... Like tanking isn't going to make these guys uh, like teach bad things. These guys, they're all professional athletes. And like, I know it's, it can be onerous to watch your team lose constantly and it can be fun to watch them win at the same time. I think we'll all have a lot more fun watching them win uh, if they get more draft talent, like uh, another guy high in the draft who helps them win meaningfully in the future. And for a team like Detroit drafts, the best place you're going to find it most likely. And the higher you are in the draft, the better the outcomes. Like draft outcomes in terms of all NBA, all-star games and whatnot actually drop off sharply after number five. Yep. Yep. And this is, I mean, we're going to talk about this draft class. I know, Mike, you're you're especially frustrated maybe with the the makeup of this one. But still, oh, yes. like there's there's just no there's no reason to look at this draft. And even if you aren't a big fan of it, there's no reason to go, well, it doesn't matter. Let's just win because they're not going to help us. You know, we you don't know how these guys are going to pan out. Uh, there are guys who fall in the draft every year who end up being really good. There are guys who get picked high who end up disappointing. But, you know, when you just look at the base odds or the base outcomes for top five picks versus outside the top five, you have a much, much better chance if you're picking high. That's it. Yeah, nothing is guaranteed. Pistons could be the worst team in the league and get the fifth pick. That's possible. Uh, the best player in the draft could go number 14. Who knows? You're not guaranteed that the first overall pick is going to be great in any draft, but you're playing probabilities here. Give your team the best probability of picking high. And if you're picking high, you're giving yourself, you know, the, the best probability of getting a, a difference maker, even in a draft like this, uh, a draft class, which I have grown to despise the more I know about it. So, <laughs> uh, I'm not yeah. that low on it. I, uh, it just hurts. I mean, well, look, look, you guys are going to hear plenty about the prospects. It's, it's just like the, the number of players who are, both high ceilinged 
and good fits with Kate Cunningham. And Kate Cunningham is it, it absolutely going to be a factor. And I mean, fit is a thing now. The Pistons have a guy who profiles as a potential superstar heliocentric creator. It's going to matter. The guys you put around him are really going to matter. So that that's one minor weakness of Kate is you if you want to get the most out of him, you have to build properly around him. So I, I don't think we're at the point where the Pistons are just mashing, you know, can really just mash talent together and see what happens. But uh, whatever the sake, whatever the case, uh, rather, I think you and I can certainly agree that the Pistons do not have enough talent on this team right now to compete. If they were just, <laughs> oh. if, yeah, if they were just to pull the trigger right now and saying, you know, look at our youth, we got this, we're just going to go straight ahead. I think oh, 100%. no. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, like as good as they've looked, as fun as they've been, it's going to get old really quickly if you try to make this your core. Like if you spend all your money on, you know, middling players, free agents, the best you can get, you're just, it's just not enough. It's, uh, it's the Dallas thing. You know, Luca is really good, and they decided to put as much talent around him as they could quickly. They traded for Porzingis. Porzingis wasn't good. As good as Dallas is, I mean, they're obviously still a good team. They're probably a second-round team. I don't yeah. know what their path to con- contention is at this point. They just they have no ways to add talent. They traded multiple first-rounders, I think, for Porzingis. It's just going to be tough for them. So while you're here, while you have the flexibility, the cap space, uh, your first-round picks, just – make them work for you as much as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. As, as far as the talent currently on the team, obviously you got Cade guy around whom you can build a team and you've got Sadiq Bay who, if he's the fourth best player on a championship team, that'll be a major win. Fourth best player on a championship team is very, very good player. Yep. And you know, who knows, maybe top off at third best. Like if the Pistons get another superstar to put next to Cade, I think Tommy and I both subscribe to this formula that in today's NBA, you got to either have two superstars or a superstar and two all-stars. <laughs> yep. If you want to win a championship. Like those guys, the star scorers are just the ultimate currency in the NBA. Defense important too, of course, but the ability to, to efficiently create your own offense in the playoffs is so important. So you got those two guys. Um, beyond that, I mean, Hamadou Diallo, if he can shoot. Frank Jackson will stay in the league if he can shoot. Um, he could be a fifth man, I think. Yeah, possibly. On a championship squad, like just as a pure floor spacer, low usage, gets a shot off quickly. But I think right now, really the only two big names that you have that you're like really looking to build around in your starting lineup are Cade Cunningham and Sadiq Bey. Yeah. This is a draft where we're going to talk about, but this is not last year's draft. Last year's draft was phenomenal. Amazing. Last year was a great year to get the number one overall pick. Last year was just a good year to be a bad team because you were going to get somebody good. This, this draft, it's not like that. Like, even the guys in the – I think right now, the number one guy in this draft would probably go fourth at best. Uh, oh, I would say lower than that. But with how Scotty, uh, Scotty Barnes has played, I would say you might have Chet probably maybe fourth. Maybe Jabari or Chet at fourth, uh, but possibly at fifth. When I think about that, it's Suggs was pretty much considered like the consensus number four guy. I don't want to do like the revisionist history thing. I still just think that Barnes, Barnes has been great. But if unless Toronto does the same thing where they get the number four pick, maybe they pick him over Cheddar Jabari. The, the point is, last year was a great draft. Maybe that was a lot of people's first, you know, taste of what the top of the lottery looks like. Just you can't go into this one expecting that kind of production again. That's oh, no, just, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, this draft, this last draft, I mean, even at this point, like three quarters of the way through their first season looks to have produced eight uh, you know, likely difference makers for their teams in the top 10. I mean, that is incredibly rare Uh, between, yeah, between uh, Cade, Jalen Green, who's actually pretty good lately, Mobley, Scotty Barnes, excuse me, seven out of 10. I don't know about Suggs, Uh, but Scotty Barnes, uh, Giddy, 
uh, goodness, I'm forgetting a couple of them. Franz. Franz Wagner. Uh, and I don't know if you're uh, thinking of Herb Jones. <laughs> no, no, Herb Jones was in the second round. I'm talking about the top 10. I mean, Suggs has oh, been really, oh, yeah, the Suggs has been really bad so far. Uh, you know, Zaire, who knows? And, and um, who's the short guy who plays for the Kings? Um, oh, Davion Mitchell. Davion Mitchell, yeah. That's what I was, yep. I was thinking, Donovan. It's obviously not the right name. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, he hasn't been all that great. But, I mean, the draft just has all the looks of, you know, a super strong draft. And even you got some guys in the second rounds. Herb Jones, I believe, in the second rounds. Uh, I would assume, Bones yeah, Island. Sumo. Yeah, yep. this is a great draft all around. Well, uh, Bones, I think, was late first. But, yeah, the draft is so strong. You have a guy like Cam Thomas who did very well in college, for example, going in the late, uh, you know, at the end of the rounds. That's That's been brought up. I'm not, uh, you know, somebody else said that. But it's true. Uh, so in any case, yeah, this draft isn't anywhere near as strong. So last year, absolutely the fantastic, the you know, fantastic year to have the, the number one overall pick, you know, because you have Kate Cunningham, who's the consensus number one overall pick, and I think is is playing like it in an incredibly still the right draft. pick. Absolutely. I don't care 100%. what anybody says. Yep, absolutely. So uh, all right. So if the Pistons were to take steps to make themselves less likely to win games, uh what would those steps be if you, you know, if, if you were a Troy Weaver and Dwayne Casey getting together and deciding you were going to make changes to the rotation, uh, what would those be for you? Are you talking about like down the stretch? Yeah, down the stretch. Well, we're getting real close to the stretch. Oh, gosh. I don't know. Um, I mean, let's bear in mind I mean, that the, Pist- the Pistons had to really, really phone it in in terms of rotations last <laughs> year to end up where they were. I mean, for those of you who are watching uh, down the stretch last season, it was painful watching games hoping the Pistons would lose. They lost this amazing tank game against Orlando. Like, critical tank game. Uh, but, yeah, I wouldn't say it was fun. It was relieving. But, like, <laughs> they, they had to do... They, they had to really be diligent as far as tanking in order to keep themselves well in the standings. Yeah, are you... You're asking what I would do to preserve our draft position? Uh, yeah, in terms of what changes would you make to the rotation? Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, Well, I think the most obvious one is... You can sit Jeremy Grant. This is, even in the context of this draft class, Like you're going to see that four of the top five could conceivably be played at the four, or like their most natural position is the four. And I don't think anybody is keen on the idea of moving Sadiq Bey. Uh, so I think that it's very likely that Jeremy Grant gets moved in the offseason. Uh, hopefully for another first rounder, I think we're going to try to look more through the, the mid and late first, just because I think it's... I'm 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 calling it now. I think the Pistons are going to look to add another first rounder in this draft, and uh, I think you know Jeremy Grant. He's been playing a little bit better lately. You know, mm-hmm. shooting is up. He's passing the ball better. But I think that's the most obvious one that you you would look to do. Uh, you would bench Jeremy Grant against bad teams. Yeah, I would just say bench Jeremy altogether. Like that. That's what happened last year. Like they they brought him back for a game against Philly. They brought Plumlee back for a game against Philly. And I was like, okay, it makes sense to bring them back against this team, which is going to stomp the Pistons no matter what. I was still a little concerned. We've nothing to chance. They were both horrible <laughs> because they hadn't played for a while. But yeah, you bench Jeremy Grant, give more time to uh, to Livers, for example. And uh, I think Kelly Olenek, I think there'd be less comfort around that just because he's missed a lot of time. But you know, you, you bench him too. Isaiah Stewart, you know, if he needs extra time this season, just give it to him. Corey Joseph, you bench him and I don't know, who do you replace him with? Like Frank Jackson is gone. You don't want to play Saban Wee in the starting lineup. But my just my point is that, yeah, you replace Jeremy Grant with Isaiah Livers. And uh, I'm completely blanking. You replace Olenek with somebody. And Corey Joseph, who's actually been a serviceable player with Saban Wee. 
you're going to get worse, like significantly worse. <laughs> and you, you still exactly. give the young guys, yeah, you still give the young guys a ton of run, but you're much less, much less likely to win. And I, I don't really see the downside. Personally, I don't see the downside in that. Uh, you don't need to teach young players how to win. Like this is something that they know how to do and we'll learn more of in the NBA. Um, it, you don't ruin players by tanking. It just doesn't happen. Right. So I remember last year, one of the, the beat writers said something about the team. It was an open secret that the team knew that they were tanking. They knew what was going on. And I think it, that's going to be the case again this year. I don't think it did anything negative uh, for them long-term. The Pistons weren't going to be competitive this year anyway. I just, I think when you compare, you know, the values of the two between winning right now or tanking right now, I think tanking just takes the cake. You you absolutely need to add more high-end talent to this team, uh, more guys who can raise the ceiling. That's it. Yeah. Again, nothing is for certain, but you want to give yourself the best odds. So yeah, absolutely. Winning games is fun, but I think that just the tangible impact of the draft is draft odds and what the draft can bring you is just much better. And I don't think you're depriving the players of anything. Uh, by right. yeah, by choosing to sit players and lose games. Right. If all goes well, these losses will be worth many more wins down the line. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Uh, and as for the draft itself, uh, let's get rolling. So uh, we selected 10 players. Uh, we're going to profile those. And the way we're going to do it, uh, Tommy and I, uh, he took four players. I took five. And we got Shaden Sharp as the 10th. We're going to just do a little bit, little spiel about him. He's not going to be part of this. And so we're... Uh, just going to go in sequence and you know pick which player goes next. This isn't necessarily our mock draft. You know, even a, this isn't necessarily even a big board. But you know, we'll talk about them. We'll talk to what uh, you know, what a profile, what to watch out for in the NCAA tournament, and uh, then after that, if we haven't uh, gone on too far at length, uh, we're going to do a little bit of a tankathon simulator, simulation rather. So, uh, all right. So let's get rolling. So uh, I drew first pick here. And to absolutely nobody's surprise, that is going to be Chet Holmgren. So uh, Chet, in my opinion, uh, Tommy and I disagree about this. I think he's the elite prospect in this draft. He's the only one I'm actually excited about in terms of the high-end talent. So seven feet, 195 pounds, which is his biggest downside. Uh, seven foot six wingspan, that is huge. He'll be about 19 years old at the draft. Right now, his splits, uh, about 14 points, nine and a half rebounds, two assists, 61% from the field, 41.2% from three on 75% from the free throw line for a true shooting of a fantastic 70.4%. So his pro is absolutely elite defensive acumen and length, like potentially game-changing defender. He is excellent at protecting the interior and the rim. Like he'll alter shots and block shots. He'll position himself to prevent people from even deciding to attempt shots. Good score and transition in the half court. He's been a strong three-point shooter. He is fantastic at finishing around the rim in the NCAA. I think he's still in the high 80s. In the restricted area, I could be wrong. At one point earlier in the season, he was at around ninety percent, which is incredible. Uh, good offensive mind. He's able to make the right reads in the passes. He moves well off the ball. He is really agile for his size. Like he moves well off the ball. I mean, not only does he make the right decision, he also is mobile and just a solid decision maker overall, and just a versatile player. Uh, his cons, as we said, one hundred ninety-five pounds at seven feet tall. Could be a big issue at the NBA level, and some guys just struggle to add weight. It's not as simple as just, you know, getting the weight room and we'll feed you a lot. And I feel like the, he's got to be able to play at center in the NBA in order to reach his real defense potential. He's not as mobile as Mobley, so I don't think he's going to be able to bring that same level of defensive impact if he's not playing center. Uh, and then some minor stuff. 
Uh, he's not always super assertive on offense. Like uh, he can sometimes get squeezed out playing next to Drew Timmy and, and Gonzaga's guards, which could probably do to be a little bit more assertive. Unclear ability on the pick and roll because Tim, he's playing next to Drew Timmy, who is a absolutely a pick and roll center. And then there's the possibility for injuries given his weight and his frame. So what yeah. are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, when when you look at Chet Holmgren, you know exactly what the the question mark with him is. And I think of it as a blessing and a curse. It's obviously the size because, you know, you look at him, dude is skin and bones, like definition of it. It's just, it just looks different. Uh, we're going to talk about another guy in this draft. Jalen Duran has, I think, the same wingspan. He's got 50 pounds on him and he's a bit shorter. And it just looks a lot more interesting, we'll say. But when I say it's a, a blessing and a curse... The blessing, obviously, is the mobility. You know, guys that tall do not move that well, uh, usually. But Chet is so skinny, he's not lugging around as much weight. It allows him to, you know, rotate really quickly, play great defense, uh, help defense. And then the length is just insane because he's he's getting to spots so much faster than other centers, traditional centers who are hanging around the rim. Guys just don't know what to do with it because, he, you know, he gets vertical, puts his hands straight up right in front of them a lot faster than guys are used to. You know, he's going to alter so many shots in the NBA, block so many shots. He's able to close out onto the perimeter with it. But the cons of it is just, it's just that bigger guys are probably going to bully him. A lot of people say, you know, what are you going to do when Joel Embiid is there against him, when Jokic is against him? And what you do? Will... You're going to cry. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> yeah, much I mean, at this point. <laughs> yeah. People, people try to like talk, like talk that away by saying nobody can stop them. And that's true. But, to you know, you still have to put somebody on them. You know, it's it's going to be like the difference between you know, Jokic or Embiid getting thirty against you or getting like forty five against you. Like yeah, Chet, more maybe it's maybe like Chet is not going to be able to deny post position to these guys. So it's not really that I'm worried about night to night. You know, guys posting up a ton. It's going to be more the post entry passes that I'm worried about because guys do fight for position still, and I don't know what Chet is going to be able to do about that. Now, once a guy has the ball, and they're going to usually you know, power dribble, spin right, spin left. At that point, it's going to be Chet's length versus their skill. Mm-hmm. But I think guys are going to get good position against him. Yeah. And if they can get position right under the basket, you're pretty much finished. Yep. Uh, well, I mean, he has a decent ability to recover. Like you see it in the NCAA. Like he'll get bullied around, but he still puts himself in position to, to alter the shot or to block the shot. But I mean, the jump in competition. Yeah. Uh, like... Here's one thing about Chet. He plays in a weak conference. The MCC is really pitifully weak. Uh, aside from Gonzaga, only St. Mary's is really uh, has the capacity to put up a fight. And Gonzaga has only played against three teams, which finished in the top 25. They lost to Duke, they beat UCLA, and they beat Texas. So, like, one thing, uh, one game that could be looked forward to uh, is possibly in the second round, Memphis and Gonzaga, when you see uh, Jalen Duran. I don't know, we're pronouncing his name differently, but you guys know what we're talking about. Uh, so you'll possibly see them going up against each other. And I think that will be a good bellwether, just a good indication as to where Chet is. Like if Duran just steps on him, you say, okay, well, you got kind of bigger problems. Chet will probably still go first overall, but it'll just be, because Duran is going to be, is a really physically dominating center. So it'll just be a good look at where Chet is in that capacity. Because it's not, it's not just Embiid and Jokic. I mean, other guys will do it too. At this point, you know, you post up LeBron James on Chet, and he's probably well, LeBron's probably going to score on anybody. But there are, I think, there are forwards who will be able to bully him. So uh, I think what to watch in NCAA tournaments: performance against top end centers, particularly uh, physically, you know, physically dominating top end centers. Duran, I think, is 
if we can get that matchup, that would be great. Avoiding disappearance on offense, being more assertive. And uh, yeah, those are the two I'd think about. Yeah. Anything to add? Nope. I think that rounds it out pretty well. It's, you know, you're going to see people either put Chet really high on their board or really low. It just comes down to how they think the NBA is going to deal with his unique uh, physical profile. That's all it is. Yeah. And I mean, his versatility really is something else though. I'm going to say that. Absolutely. All right. So on to your number two. Uh, well, this is our mock draft number two, or not even mock draft, just this is our number two on the list. But this is the guy that I would actually pick number one in the draft. And it comes right. down to the need or the fit, but it also just the way this guy plays. Um, I would put, I would pick Jabari Smith number one overall. 6'10", 7'1", wingspan, uh, forward out of Auburn. And when you watch him, the, the first thing that you're going to notice is the jump shot. Because that's, that's, that's his bread and butter. That's what's going to make him you know, a top pick in this draft. He, he is so long and his release is so tall, like so high up there. He's kind of got the KD thing going on where, you know, he elevates and there are just so there, there's almost nobody who's going to block that shot. And Jabari Smith, he just shoots it so unbelievably well. Uh, this season, he's shooting well over 40% on volume on threes. And, you know, it's not that he's, I don't want to say, you know, like he's, it's not that he's, you know, a one trick pony, but that's like his go-to. And it's not that he does anything else super well, but when you're shooting that well on threes, you know, you're going to be valuable on any NBA team, especially when you're that tall. Uh, but the other thing that I really like about him is the potential cultural fit because he's just, you, you know, you watch him and you see him like getting really animated and excited. And he's very into the game, both offensively and defensively, especially like he's, uh, he's calling out uh, defensive assignments. He's, you know, playing really intense defense. He's getting low in his stance. And I think that that's the sort of thing that Troy Weaver will absolutely love. And I think it would work really, really well on this team. So when I see stuff like that, I think that, you know, we, we obviously need help on the wing. We need help at all positions, but uh, you, you, this is another guy who's going to space the floor uh, about around Cade. And you, you look at his, his stat line for the year, 17, seven and two, 43%. Uh, and then 42.8, and then 81.6 from the line, 58.1% true shooting. Guy's just an elite score. Uh, that's that's really what I see from him, you know, capable pull-up shooter. And I think that's that alone, you know, when you talk about how this draft, there's not really any great fits for Cade, I think Jabari Smith is the most natural fit. And what do you think about his defense? It's it's phenomenal. Like, he's he plays great uh, positional defense. You know, he makes solid use of his length he gets really low and he's definitely trying to disrupt passing lanes uh, play really physical defense deny position so i think it's really solid i think culturally and you know for the identity of this team he's a natural fit yeah uh again just his his measurements 610 220 seven foot one wingspan and he'll be about 19 at the draft so i think worth talking about is that he's not just only a spot-up shooter. He also has done decently well in isolation. Of course, isolation for him is just uh, basically step-back threes, which he's pretty good at those, too. Again, very difficult to block. You know, you can compare him to KD in that way. Now, his weaknesses uh, are basically the ways in which he is not KD at all, which is that he doesn't shoot off the dribble, really. I mean, he doesn't get into the interior and shoot KD, of course, one of the great shooters of all time, but certainly one of the great pull-up shooters of all time, and he's unblockable. You know, KD's... I think 6'11", and you're not going to block him, period, when he goes in and pulls up and kind of fades away a little bit. But yeah, Jabari doesn't really look to get much offense inside the arc. He's started posting up, and when he posts up uh, on a smaller player, he's 
you know, given his release point and his height, he's almost certainly to get that shot up. And he's, I think, done okay at it. Not great. But he's just shown so little inclination to attack the basket if he's not attacking closeouts or an open lane. So, yeah, his handle also, just because he's not really willing to attack or just hasn't been doing it, it's tough to say exactly what it is. Like, can he handle? Can he attack and break down defenses and create for his teammates? So, but I agree with you. Yeah. Like, elite perimeter shooter. Like, absolutely elite. But, like, where again, where would he go in last year's draft? Just a guy who's an elite shooter. Um, I think him and Chet would both go fifth, probably at best. I This is not a, a very strong draft compared to that. But, yeah, I, I would I would definitely agree with you. The, the big thing, or the big criticism of Jabari is that he doesn't figure to be a number one option in maybe not even a number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that he's a great volume scorer. He's going to score efficiently. I think him and Cade could be a really good pick and pop duo. And that's why this is another reason. Like this is obviously a Pistons podcast. So we're really just focused on the fit with the Pistons. Uh, but if you were another team that's still looking for like a primary cornerstone i don't think you'd want jabari to be that guy just because he's not really capable of putting it down on the floor and taking it inside and doing a lot more with it it's not that he's super dynamic but for what we need him to do or what what he can do it's still very very helpful because like you said Cade, he can handle most of the usage he's going to be the one who's creating advantages it's just going to be on guys like jabari smith sadiq bay whoever else to finish those plays yeah uh, you also got to think about the athleticism there too. I mean, Jabari Smith is athletic, but he doesn't really use it in half court. So, I mean, t- if he can learn to put the ball on the floor, I mean, fantastic. This guy, you're going to have to basically be six inches from him to have a hope of blocking a shot. And then he can get past you pretty easily and hopefully make the right pass. And you have your, you know, your driving kick and swing and get yourself an open opportunity. Yeah. Now yeah, he doesn't attack the basket all that much or as, no, as much very as he little. should for a guy who's that big, that tall, that strong. But again, with the jumper as as good as it is, I don't think anybody is really going to complain unless it becomes an, an actual problem. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe he can become budget Middleton, you know, shot creator who's very difficult. Not budget, excuse me, jumbo Middleton, who's just being <laughs> you know, a really big and uh, a good shot creator and very difficult to block. Yeah. So what do you think we should watch uh, as far as his NCAA tournament performance? If you're going to watch Jabari Smith, take a look at the types of shots that he gets off. They're difficult shots. They're mostly pull-ups. Uh, he's able to create a lot of his own offense just on stop and pops. You know, He raises up, gets it off over a guy, and I think that's the thing that if he is drafted to the Pistons or wherever he goes, that's what you're going to fall in love with. That's the most interesting thing about him. You know, Guys that big and strong and that tall, uh, they're usually not that good at shooting. Yeah, I would say we want to see if he can maybe try in the NCAA tournament. I don't know if it's the greatest time to try it but try to create some offense within the arc by putting the ball on the floor and also just to operate within the flow of the offense rather than being the ball stopper, which he is right now. So, uh, all right. Oh, we forgot about shade on sharp, Oh, whatever we'll do him last. Uh, okay. So, uh, next on our list. So, well, here, do your note, because this is the, uh, this is where the draft kind of drops off for you. Oh, right. Yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, yeah. At number three, like unless somebody really distinguishes himself during the NCAA tournament, this is the point at which I would consider trading down because I don't think that anybody who is left, everybody who is left has some sort of flaw. Either their ceiling is really questionable or their fit with Cade sucks, in my opinion. Like Tommy and I, you know, strongly disagree about Ivy and his fit with Cade, but well, to a degree, I think you can admit that the, that the fit isn't great. But you think it no? Can it's be not that work. it's great. It's I'll I'll explain why. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, we can have. I, a skip, I, I yeah. would fully admit, like nobody left on this list is like a phenomenal fit with Cade. And usually, uh, when you're picking yeah. this high in the draft, you're looking for a guy who's a bit more of a chameleon who can fit kind of anywhere. But it's just it doesn't exist in this draft. At least yeah. not high. 
Yeah. So, I mean, if I'm, so at that point, maybe you look to trade down and either you get, you know, I, I haven't looked at the scenarios. Maybe you trade down a few spots and you get another first round pick like in, you know, in the, in the mid teens or something, or you maybe get another player, you know, the, you know, the high ceiling player that generally teams don't trade those. But if we're going at number three and bear in mind that this is almost just due to my dislike of the players who come after this or my misgivings about them, I'd be looking at Keegan Murray, who by many accounts is a guy the Pistons really like. And I'm largely just looking at him because he has much less in the way of Cardinal flaws. So Keegan Murray, 6'8", 215, 6'11", wingspan. He'll be about 22 on draft day. So it splits the season about 23 and a half points, eight and a half rebounds, one and a half assists on uh, 55, 40, 74 splits, so about 64% true shooting. He's been one of the most prolific scorers in the NCAA, and he's also done it efficiently while creating a fair amount of his own offense. So his pros, good size, good strength, good length. Those are helpful. Uh, he is strong, you know, like physically strong player. Uh, he's been a very good shooter from the perimeter, strong finisher at the rim and good at getting there, though he largely does it physically, you know, with strength rather, uh, you know, does it physically. Obviously, everybody's doing these things physically, but he's doing it largely with strength rather than burst. Uh, he can create his own offense. He's a hard worker with a high compete level, and uh, and he's aggressive. Good defensive instincts. He's very engaged. Uh, he's a hardworking rebounder. I mean, he gets in there, and who knows if he'll be able to do this at the NBA level because he's not the greatest sleeper, but he really gets in there to grab offensive boards, and he's just versatile overall. So his cons, not explosive, not a good leaper. These things will limit him at the NBA level. They're not nearly as big of a deal in the NCAA where skill and strength alone are allowing him to really compensate for them. Needs to work on passing. Right now, he just looks to attack for the most part. Defensive foot speed, a question mark. Uh, is he going to be able to defend quick guards? Who knows? Relies on his strength too much. And he is versatile, but not elite in anything beyond maybe perimeter shooting. And because he doesn't get much lift on his shot, might be an issue at the NBA level. It's not an issue for Sadiq Bey, though, so who knows? Um yeah, I'll just say, so there's Sam Vecini. Sam Vecini is the only draft guy uh, you know, I'll really listen to for the most part. I just do my own research, but I'll read some of his stuff and learn some things or get some viewpoints that uh, that I otherwise wouldn't have thought of myself. It's like that to a degree with Zach Lowe as far as NBA analysis. He's the only one. So he said that he sees a good amount of Tobias Harris in uh, in Murray's game. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of Tobias. Part of it just because I just think, I've, you know, I've said this many times. I just think he's a model sportsman. He's just a great guy by every account. As far as his abilities on the floor, though, I mean, if Keegan Murray can is a guy who can put the ball on the floor uh, and do some pull-up shooting at, at a high percentage, make his way to the basket, uh, and shoot threes at a high level while also playing much better defense than Tobias, you know, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world to take him at number three. Yeah. The only thing I would have to really add to that, I think that's a very thorough uh, profile on Keegan Murray. The only thing I would say is that when you watch Keegan Murray, the thing that kind of stands out is is the type of athleticism that he has. Yeah, and it's really he lacks burst. He's he's you would you would classify him as a good athlete, but it's really more power than you know explosiveness. There right. was somebody I don't I, you're gonna have to forgive me. I don't remember who phrased it this way, but somebody described it as um, he has like a, a higher than usual, higher than normal loading time on his moves. And I would have to agree with that. Like when he goes up for dunks, it just feels like he needs to, you know, hunker down and then explode upwards. He doesn't have like a really good second jump or even like a first jump. It's it's not like that instantaneous thing that you see guys like Duran or even Isaiah Stewart. You know, they they come down and they go up again really quickly. And with Keegan Murray, I think it just he just lacks that a little bit. So that's the only thing that really stands out to me. And then I would have to agree with you 
on the three-point shot. I feel like it's a, it's a little bit slower of a release, but you can't argue with those percentages. You know, as long as he can get that shot off in the NBA, maybe he has to step back a little bit further beyond the three-point arc like Halliburton. Uh, but if he can knock that down reliably, I, I like it. Uh, I definitely think this is one where it's like the the cultural fit or the personality fit is there. Uh, the guy seems like a very hard worker, unselfish, and uh, you know it's he doesn't play super flashy. I don't know how to qualify that or like describe that, but like I, I feel the same way watching him as I do watching Al Horford. I'll put it that way. Ah, huh, yeah, I don't know about that. Howard Horford's even in his prime was not particularly quick, but definitely incredibly, extremely fundamentally sound. Now, one thing I would say about Keegan Murray's athleticism, uh, would you say? That's exactly what I think of fundamentally sound. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll get into more of the player fits with the Pistons and concerns about fit with the Pistons uh, when March Madness is over and we start to get into really the meat of our draft coverage. Uh, We'll be doing quite a bit of it. Uh, But uh, one thing about his athleticism is that, you know, for the most part, you you have these NCAA players and their athletic ceilings are obvious. And it's they're not going to improve all, all that much in the NBA. I mean, they they've had access to excellent training, at, you know, for to certainly in, you know in high school and in college, and you can pretty much project them. You know what you said about loading time that yeah, it just takes them some time to get going. That might be something that maybe because the guy's already twenty two, but that might be something that can be improved upon at the NBA level. Um, you know, you're not going to make a player significantly more explosive or a better leaper, but. I could see him maybe finding kind of another gear, but I don't think he's ever going to be like a really bursty or explosive player. But maybe you can improve on it a bit. So uh, what I would watch in the NCAA tournament is ability to create against physical defenses with large players. We saw a little bit of trouble against Purdue. He still produced fairly well. Not, you know, not super efficiently, but uh, he was having trouble getting inside. Uh, Purdue fields a couple of large centers. I don't remember what their names are. And uh, Edie is one of them. Yeah, so he was just having trouble forcing his way inside like he usually does just with his strength and his size. And so there was a lot of posting up and just him having trouble finding a way to really get involved in the interior. And that'll be an issue. I'd, I'd really like to see him find ways. Uh, and who knows, I, I don't expect paradigm change before the end, just you know, in the NCAA tournament. But it'd be great to see if he could find ways to score more with finesse and smarts rather than just trying to bully his way in because he will not be able to do that in the NBA. Yeah. Do you have any questions or anything to watch rather for, uh, for Keegan Murray? No, I think that rounds it out really well. Yeah. Um, uh, do you want to move on to, do you have anything else to say or do you want to move on to Ivy? Yeah. Again, we'll, we'll talk about quest, you know, concerns about ceiling and fit with the Pistons when we, you know, when we get to our draft coverage, which is, you know, let's start a, you know, probably a few weeks before the draft lottery. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. last year people really liked the single prospect episodes that we did. I think we'll bring those back again this year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll do individual uh, individual episodes on the big project, uh, big prospects yeah. rather. All right, so uh, let's move on to your next player. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like, who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers, then track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any college hoops team to win, and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbooks. 21 plus, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. The next guy is is like Mike alluded to. It's a guy that we both 
disagree on pretty fundamentally, I think. Uh, it's Jaden Ivey. Um, yeah, we don't have six to talk three about that, fortunately. <laughs> That's not this episode. <laughs> That's true. Yes, uh, six three guard, 195, six eight wingspan, a little bit older. He's When I was looking at the – I remember this very clearly. At the start of the year, not even like the college season, you know, the start of the piston season, like in the off season, I was like thinking about how do we address needs because I knew that we needed another guard. And I was, I remember something to the effect of like Googling, you know, who are the athletic guards in the next draft? And Jaden Ivey popped up because he had shown out really well at the FIBA U19 tournament last year. And, you know, when you see his game, like the first thing that's going to stand out to you is the athleticism. He is an excellent athlete burst. You know, he, can he, Anytime he attacks the rim, he is trying to kill somebody with a poster dunk. Like he is attacking hard, and I love that about him. Uh, he's really good at it, and he can break down defenses. Like he's got such a he, he's got a good arsenal for breaking down defenses and breaking down the guy in front of him and just getting all the way to the rim, which is a difficult thing to do in the Big Ten because it's a lot of big lumbering centers. It's guys who are going to be occupying the paint, and the fact that he's still getting to the rim with regularity is all the more impressive to me. When I think about his NBA skill set or like how things are going to translate for him, I actually think he's going to get better there because he will theoretically have NBA spacing. Uh, if you want to talk about the Pistons, you know, we don't know who the long-term solution is there. But if if Ivy's on your team, I think it's pretty important that you have a spacing five or at least a guy who is, can space a little bit. You know, this is probably a discussion that we'll have a little bit when we get to Duran or just at some point. But I don't think you need to necessarily have a five who shoots threes, but they have to have something where they can space out of the lane so that your guards or forwards or whoever can get all the way in uh, just just enough so that they can either dump it off or throw it up for a lob uh, or take it all the way to the basket. And Ivy is really good at doing that. He will take the contact and he will finish uh, with finesse. He just has phenomenal touch around the rim. So that's what I think about when I think about Ivy. I just... You know, when you when we talk about the roster construction of the Pistons and what they need going forward, it's top end talent. And a lot of, there's not a lot of that in this draft. But Ivy, with his athleticism, his physical profile, you know, you just you can't teach that sort of thing. And I see, you know, high end outcomes for him if certain things go well. And that leads us to the cons. And it is the shooting. You know, he started off the year really hot and then it's cooled off considerably. Um, it's a problem. But when I watch him. It's it's a few things that I see. One, the team relies on him to create offense a lot. So he is often taking pull-up threes, you know, leaning threes, you know, coming off a screen and putting it up without having balance. And one thing he does that annoys me a little bit is he takes long threes with regularity, like two or three feet behind the long line. And I'm not sure why he does it. Maybe it's because his release is a little bit lower than he likes. Maybe he doesn't want to get blocked. I'm not sure. But I don't know why he can't just take that step forward. I think he could easily boost his three-point percentage a little bit if he was just taking better threes. But right now, he is he's the best player on Purdue, and they rely on him pretty heavily. Uh, you know, when you talk about what his role would be, it's I, I would classify him as a combo guard. I think he's a guy who can shoulder the ball-handling duties a bit, but I don't think you want him as your primary guard unless he gets a lot better at shooting. I think if you can put him on a team where he is balanced out with somebody else like he is currently at Purdue. Uh, that's a good situation for him. So I know you're going to come at me, man. Tell, tell, tell me why I'm wrong. Come out to me, bro. Uh, okay. So 
I, I've got some additional cons for Ivy. Like, uh, this certainly the guy's an excellent athlete. Like nine, you know, nine, nine and a half out of ten NBA athleticism. He's got excellent acceleration, excellent body control, and he's he's a very good leaper. So, and definitely excellent at scoring at the rim, excellent at breaking down defenses. Uh, pretty good isolation score against mismatches in particular. But uh, you know, one of his cons comes with uh, is breaking down defenses. He can do it. His ability to make reads, the right reads and the right passes is still questionable. Maybe he will improve in that respect. Maybe he won't. If he doesn't, that's a big strike against him. But, uh, you know, especially because he really does his best work with the ball in his hands attacking downhill. And I think that's going to continue to be his primary niche in the NBA as, as a lead handler who can just do that as, as much as he wants to his heart's content. And if he can't make the right reads, then that's that's highly limiting. Uh, that That's where you find like the issues that Sexton had. They're very different players, but Sexton, same thing, highly ball dominant, not does not have the, uh, just doesn't have the uh, the offensive acumen you know, that just, he, does, he can't make the right reads, can't make the right passes. So he's just a guy who's super ball dominant, but can't create for his teammates. So that's a risk with Ivy. Uh, also the fact that attacking downhill like that is his only reliable skill right now. Like shooting, you can say whatever about form, uh, and you know his form isn't bad, but he shot like twenty six percent last year, and this year outside yep, of this, yeah, outside of those two hot games early in the season when he won six for six and four for six, he's shooting uh, below thirty percent this season. That's bad. That's not a huge improvement. Also, eleven of fifty two over his last 10, 12 games. That is terrible, and that's a major warning sign. He did sustain a slight injury, at, you know, a couple weeks before that period began, but it was like a hip flexor injury, not a bad one. And he only missed one game. I don't think that was the cause. So yeah, 11 of 52 over his last 12. That's horrendously bad. And when a, when a yep. player goes on a bad streak like that over the course of six weeks, you really got to wonder if maybe he was just a little hot to start the season and his shooting is even worse than it appears, you know, in terms of percentage. So, but also just a guy who loses a ton of his utility when he's off the ball. And so again, I think he's going to be a lead guard. Got to be able to make the reads. Not a great free throw shooter, which doesn't bode well for his shooting in the NBA. And his defense is not great. Pick and roll defense, pretty bad. And uh, his man gets left open at the at the three point line a fair amount, also. So I, I think again, this is a weak draft. Like in last year's draft, Ivy may have gone like number seven. Uh, you know, maybe five, six, seven. He, he would not have been you know, a, a top four pick. I don't think so. Maybe not even a top five. Sure, and I. Pardon me, I had forgotten to read off uh, his scoring numbers. So he's averaging 17.5 points, 5 and 3, and then 46, 35.6, and 73.5% shooting splits. You know, that free throw percentage, it's not super encouraging if you're a person who subscribes to the idea that free throw percentage is a good indicator of uh, shooting projection, which I I think there is value to it. But yeah, no, last year he did shoot 26% on threes. And coming into the year, like that was one of the things that I was definitely looking at. Uh, I do think that if you, when you watch him, like you said, like the jump shot looks fine. And I especially think it looks a lot better when he has his feet set and he's able to release it. So we can, we can talk more about the the potential Pistons fit uh, later on when we do his single prospect episode. So I won't get into that now, but uh, as far as what to watch in the tournament, it's, it's definitely still the shooting. Um, it's going to be a matter of like how, how bad do his misses look? Um, how consistent is his form? You know, what, what kind of shots is he taking and putting up? Where is he shooting them from? That's what it's going to come down to. And how does he project there? Because it is a gamble. Uh, it's a swing on upside for sure, but Absolutely. I can definitely see, I can definitely see it working out. Um, if he can get that three ball, because if, if he can, 
if he can get an honest defense, uh, like if, if he gets honest defensive closeouts and he's going to attack them, it's over. Like he has top end athleticism. You're going to see the John Morant comp. I think it's just as much about the aesthetics. Like they have similar hair, yeah. uh, but their play style is <laughs> it, it, their play. He's like, he's like a reduced version of a version of John Morant. He's not going to be able to do what John Morant is doing. Uh, I don't think he has that level of athleticism, but if he can get guys closing out on him, close that gap, put his shoulder into a guy, like I said, he does not shy away from contact. I think he likes to play through it. He's going to be a guy who lives on attacking the basket, drive and kick and then finish. Or um, if he has the shot, take the three. Yeah. So I think about his three. Yeah. You you noted that he has uh, 35% in between 35 and 36% of the season. Like I said, inflated by those hot start, that, that hot start, just those first two games. If you look at his in-conference play, uh, He's at about he's yeah about thirty one percent, which isn't great. And there are plenty of guys with good looking shots who just never get it together. So who knows? But something I also want to mention is that if he plays against a team that really succeeds at pushing him to the outside, does not allow over open driving lanes, like he's he's really good at just going slightly outside and then going inward toward the basket. If there's a team that prevents him from doing that, he can fall apart because he's got no game in that case. And if you know, I was watching kind of the Purdue Iowa game on and off, what I saw from him was that Purdue was doing a decent job at that. And and Ivy's modes right now are basically either have the ball in your hands and attack, be around the perimeter waiting to get the ball and moving around waiting to get the ball, or chucking threes. He was one of eight against Iowa. So shooting obviously in the NCAA tournament, I would also say the ability to remain relevant if he's targeted by defenses, which he will be, and driving lanes aren't open. All right. Uh anything to add or do we uh, do we move on? No, I think when you, you know, especially for Pistons fans watching it, it's going to look confusing, especially when you look at how, how often he has the ball. Like, why do you want this guy on the team if he's going to take the ball out of Cade's hands? Uh, we're not going to get into that this time, but for at least for me personally, when I talk about how high I am on him, it's because I think about adjusting his role. So I'll just, I'll put that out there. The role that you see him playing for Purdue is not the one that I want to see him play for the Pistons. That's yeah, I just don't think it's that simple as adjusting his role. I think you'd have to take him away from what he's good at. But yeah, we'll have that discussion a couple months down the line, something like that. All right, so uh, moving on to number five, and this is where it gets really muddled for me. And just on the basis of pure talent alone, you know, this is choosing between Duke, two Duke teammates, uh, teammates, excuse me. And just on the basis of pure talent alone, it'd be uh, Paolo Boncaro, Boncaro, I can never remember which. So six foot I nine. I say Boncaro. Yeah, sure. Uh, six. You all know what we're talking about. A six foot nine, two fifty, seven foot wingspan would be about nineteen and a half at the draft. Right now, seventeen points, eight rebounds, three assists on fifty three percent from the field, thirty and a half from three, and seventy one percent from two. Excuse me, from the three. Excuse me, from the free throw line, and about fifty five percent true shooting. So Spro is super strong player. He couples his strength with very good quickness and agility for his size. Good footwork and touch. Uh, he really excels at exploiting matchups. He can bully smaller players or just blow past bigs who can't keep up with him. He's kind of improving as a three-point shooter. Solid court vision, solid passing, especially out of the high post. And he can create offense off the dribble and finish tough offense, finish tough opportunities, rather. Comes with a laundry list of cons. So number one, unfortunately not super athletic. He's quick, but he's not bursty. He is not a good leaper. If Paulo Bancaro were a good leaper, I would have him much higher because he'd be, I think he'd be an, a, a pretty darn defective role man in that case, but he is not. He's a, a, a he's a below the rim player. So uh, and his lateral mobility isn't good. That's an issue on defense. Still struggles as a shooter. 
opponents are still willing to sag off of him. And that's a real minus. He has to become a good shooter. Like no ifs, ands, or buts. This guy is not going to be Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, who is brilliant in the best league at attacking the basket and still has to have a team of shooters around him uh, to succeed in the playoffs. Probably will need a mid-range game just from when he gets into the paint. He's still bad at that. Uh, the offense he produces from the perimeter is often difficult and can be pretty inefficient. That'll get worse in the NBA against much better defenses. Can absolutely fall apart if he's kept away from the rim and become a complete non-factor. Uh, Mike Ivey loses a ton of his utility when he's off the ball. And that's, I think, a concern for any player. Again, we'll get into the fit issues because that is a fit issue too. A defense is an issue because of his, just his footwork uh, he's in his lateral mobility. And his position locked to power forward. Can't play him at center right now because he absolutely can't defend the rim. And that's not ideal. You want to have that positional versatility. So, yeah. Uh, it's like, again, I put him here over AJ Griffin purely because he's just got, I think, more pure talent. But I have severe misgivings about Paula. Yeah, I'm there with you. Paul is another guy that I'm a lot lower on consensus for. I think the I, I struggle to articulate my problem with him, and it really comes down to the athleticism that he has. You know, you look at him, and he looks he he is definitely super skilled and effective at the NCAA level. But I think there is the problem is the jump in athleticism and play style between college basketball and NBA basketball because I think that's where the problem is really going to you know show up. My thing with Paulo is that he when he gets stopped driving to the rim, he tends to settle for bad offense. Uh like he pulls up from mid-range like he has this turnaround fadeaway that if you watch his highlight compilation, he's going to knock down a bunch of them. He's going to miss a bunch of them that you're not going to see. And that's kind of the problem with him. I think he's going to get stopped short a lot more often and in that way, he's going to be a ball stopper. I think the comp he's going to, he's gotten is like Pistons Blake Griffin. Uh, I don't think he's strong enough for that. Like I don't think he's going to be able to post these guys up and take them all the way to the rim. So I don't, I don't like that comp very much. But if you talk about the passing vision, yeah, that's great. Like his cross court passes, they're really good. You'll you'll see you'll hear the story. Uh, he was a point guard growing up, and then growth spurt, and they made him a powerful forward. And I think at Duke, it's worked well enough but I think at the NBA level I just I have my misgivings about it because I don't think that the athleticism is going to be enough he's not bursty enough he's not vertical enough he's not quick enough it's just he has adequate at all those things in the NCAA but at the NBA I think he's just I think it's just going to fall off a cliff for him uh, I could be wrong you know maybe the combination of all those things work well enough together Maybe he improves in some meaningful way, either as a shooter or just in terms of IQ and body control in a way that he's able to compensate for those, but I just don't know. Yeah, I, I keep coming back to just how much utility he loses when he's off the ball. I mean, if he can't be an effective role man, and who knows, maybe you find a way to make him so. I mean, Sabanis certainly is, though. Uh, yeah, let's just not get into into fit, but if he can't play, if he can't be an effective role man and he's not a really dangerous shooter, like I think you need to be a high, pretty high caliber shooter to be an effective off ball player. He just, he will lose so much of his effectiveness when he's off the ball. And I don't think he's good enough to, to give like a ball dominant role to at times I've thought, okay, maybe this guy will turn into kind of budget Giannis, but in a terrible way, like Giannis, Giannis's ball dominance without the athleticism and without the defense. So I'm, I'm, just, yeah, I've got my misgivings about him. And when we talk about fit with the Pistons, those are going to be amplified. <laughs> it's just, you know, I'm going to have uh, even worse things to say about him. So who knows? Maybe he makes his way on talent, but uh, maybe not. So uh, what I would yeah, say is... I'm with you. 
Yeah, I would say in terms of things to watch in the NCAA tournament, his shooting. I mean, that's going to be a big factor in, in, in the tournament against better opposition. And you just really want to see him shoot better. He's done better lately, but you know he's, he's got to do even better on better volume. And his performance against strong defenses with bigs who can handle him physically because you don't want to see him disappear like he has at times this season just because he can't get into the interior. Yep. Uh, all right, moving on. We're going to go through the rest of these more quickly because they're a lot, you know, they're a lot less complex. Yeah. Uh, the next guy I have on here is Duren, and that might be a little bit early because I know the if the conversation around him is the fact that he's a traditional center, and I totally get that. And I know that I'll, I'll let you do the, the the player comp that you see because I know who it is. Yeah. Uh, but let's let's talk about him. Uh, Jalen Duren, Memphis Tigers, 6'10", 250, seven foot five wingspan, and you see him like he's the opposite of Chet in terms of like muscle. <laughs> like this dude is ridiculously strong. And he's still really, really young. Like I don't think he, I don't think he turns nineteen until midway through his rookie season. Uh, yeah, eighteen and a half in the draft. Is he? Yeah, uh, he's been a little bit of a disappointment at Memphis this year. But this is another one where I think the context of the season and the teammates around them is uh, really important. They had Imani Bates playing ball handler oh, at man, Memphis for. <laughs> yeah, it was. It just didn't work. Like I, I, the way I've seen it described, I've. Forgive me, I don't have the credit for this one either. Is a lot of individual, good individual talents that don't fit well together. And you know, Darren, you know, being a center who's kind of a rim runner, he's going to suffer from that. Obviously, he's not a guy who's initiating a lot of his own offense. Uh, you want your leaping center to be a guy who's finishing offense. So if these guys aren't playing well together as a team, that's just not going to happen all that much for him. But he's been a lot better since Bates has been out with an injury. Uh, it's not a that's not against. That's nothing against Bates. I would still hope that he picks it up and maybe he becomes a piston, and that dream from like two years ago ends up happening. But I know with Duran, it's it's really about um, the high ceiling athleticism because he is a monster athlete, uh, tall, l- decent laterally. I think he's you know when you talk about old school centers, uh, the the problem or the reason they don't exist in the NBA today, I think, is just as much about mobility as it is lack of range. That's not really a problem with Jalen. Uh, I think he moves well enough. I think he's going to be a guy who you can switch onto the perimeter and he'll be able to hold his own because uh, he's he's just that quick. And then when you talk about what he, you want to see him do, um, it's a pick and roll. It's a pick and roll lob threat. You know, the guy is super strong. He can go up explosively, jump super high. His catch radius is huge. His long arms gets up really high. It's it's the, you know, we see it now with Marvin Bagley on the Pistons where, you know, just adding a lob threat has made things a lot easier for Cade. Say what you will defensively, but Marvin Bagley has been a lot of fun offensively. You know, having a lob threat has been very good for the offense. It's a whole other dimension to the offense that you don't have on the team prior to Bagley. And then Duran, you know, he figures to be able to address that problem. You know, he's, he's a strong finisher, and it's not that you – it's not that he's incapable of posting up, but I don't think you really want to see that very much. The no, thing that I'm looking for with him, yeah, the thing I'm looking for with him is, is he going to be able to extend out any range? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that, but it's, it's really, it's really just the, 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 op, the upside that you see with him. I think that he could be a fantastic role man, like your solution at the five. If he figures everything out, he just has that type of ceiling physically. Uh, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. And then I should mention, yeah. Uh, 62% on field goals. I don't think he's made a three this season. And then 63.1% true shooting. 62% 62 
online at the line. Yep. So it doesn't project all that well for him to become a spacing threat, but that's kind of the problem. Yeah, definitely. Uh, agree with what you've said about his pros, like excellent physically, highly athletic, excellent leaper. He's fairly quick for his size, mobile, good lateral mobility. I think, you know, he has it in him to be a good rim protector, a switchable defender. And he's got a hint of a jump shot, like mid-range, but who knows if that'll actually work out. So cons, yeah, raw offensively, make some weird decisions, not always assertive, uh, limited agency on offense, traditional center, basically. If you're a traditional center in this league and you can't stretch the floor, you had better be very good at everything else. And uh, I don't, his projection just based on his free throw percentage. If you, again, if you subscribe to that, that's really bad. I just think he'll be a traditional center in the NBA. And again, he better be really good. I think probably the earliest I'd feel really comfortable taking Duran is maybe 10. So yeah, yeah. that's, that's fine. I mean, I think about, you know, people really like, what, do you have anything else to add? Uh, not really. No, okay. just, uh, you know, things I would watch for in the tournament, but yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. The the thing that you see with, Duran, especially that uh, that's going to stand out to you is the defense. I think he is a capable defender. You know the the problem is a little bit of intensity uh, issues that you'll see. You know, I think sometimes he's really engaged and it looks really good, and it's it's more often than not. But um, as far as what to watch for in the tournament, it's going to be what Mike alluded to that that hint of a jump shot. He's starting to shoot that a little bit more. Uh, he doesn't search for his own shot, which I think is a good thing, but if you're talking about, you know, what a modern five has to be able to do, I really like it if you can space the floor a little bit. Like if you have a reliable mid-range, as inefficient as that is at the NBA level, if you can make it work to the point where guys are not happy to let you take that shot, I think it just does so much in the way of opening up driving lanes. And I don't think you have to space all the way out to the three-point line. You can still be an interior presence, uh, be available as a dunker, a lob threat. Uh, operate from the interior he has some passing ability it's just it's raw it looks bad but that's the the main thing i would look for in the tournament i want to see if he can uh show him a little bit more of that mid-range i think that's going to be the thing that makes or breaks him as like a top center yeah he's he's definitely raw no doubt about that i would watch his shot selection too because sometimes he can make some questionable decisions and i disagree on the mid-range spacing we'll talk about that in the future i'm sure we'll talk about deandre Aiden and tommy and i disagree about that too so absolutely yeah uh, all right, so moving on to number whatever this is, Adrian Griffin also plays with Duke alongside Paolo Boncaro, Boncero, whatever it is. Six foot six, two hundred and twenty-ish pounds. Claims to have a seven foot two wingspan, whatever. He's fairly long, about nineteen at the draft. Uh, he's scoring about ten and a half points, four rebounds, one assist on fifty percent, forty-seven percent, seventy-six percent splits. It's about sixty-four percent true shooting. So. He's played a smaller role on Duke. It's really hard to judge how he'd do with a bigger role, but he's got good, good, you know, good physical tools. He's strong. He's quick. Not all that bursty, but he's strong, agile, long. He's been an excellent three-point shooter. He can do some movement shooting, including just pulling up when he has the ball. Decent mid-range pull-up game, though it'll need to be more efficient. He wants to use that in the NBA. Strong finisher at the rim when he gets there. Smart mover without the ball. And he's got the strength, the length, and the mobility to be a multi-positional defender. He's really strong. His cons, already has a history of injuries to one of his knees. So you'd be drafting another Griffin who has knee problems. That scares me. Shot form. <laughs> yeah. Shot form's a little wonky with his feet spread. I don't know how I feel about that. Doesn't attack the basket very much. More often settles for mid-range jumpers. And you got to modify that in the NBA unless you're real good at shooting mid-range jumpers. It's hard to pull up and very few guys are. Just unclear look as a creator in general. 
uh, also because the vast majority of his offense has been assisted. So a guy with potential, uh, I wouldn't put it past him to become one of the five best players in this draft. I just don't like that we have so little data on him aside from kind of as a role player. Also the injuries. I mean, a guy who's already had two knee and two injuries to the same knee. That's uh, they haven't been serious, but not ideal. They've, they've robbed him of some of his athleticism, which is I definitely so. a concern. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, just you know, the a key availability, the most key available. You know, the, the, excuse me, the most um, best avail- ability yeah. is availability. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The, you know, and if you're not on the floor, then you know that's a problem. So yeah, yeah that's uh, that's how I feel about Griffin. So he could be good, but. Just the lack of data and the injury history scare me. Yep. I, I mean, I don't really have a lot to add to that. I I think he'd be probably a top five pick on most people's boards if it wasn't for the injury history. You know, presumably he'd have a more dynamic game. But, you know, it's, I think it's going to be one of those picks where maybe he falls, you know, depending on how the medicals look, and then he enters the NBA. Maybe he has, like, the Michael Porter Jr. type thing going for him. Or not in terms of play style, but, like, guy who was very highly touted, drops because of injuries, and then – plays really well and then he gets hurt you know you don't want you don't want to maybe build around that maybe that's a risk that you take maybe if the medicals look good i don't know but that's that's why you know you're gonna see him all over the place the shooting is phenomenal as weird as it looks like his his knees kind of bow inwards when he shoots jump shots which is unpleasant to look at but it goes (laughs) in that's it you know yeah (laughs) i don't care how ugly it is just give me functional offense i have questions about the sustainability of that jump shot though in the nba um sure you know, it's just a weird jump shot in general in terms of the biomechanics. Is that what you'll be looking for? Uh, not really. What I'll be looking for is his ability to create offense off the dribble. I mean, it doesn't help that he's playing next to Paolo, who takes a great deal of the usage when it comes to attacking sure. from the perimeter. He's basically been consigned to role player. I'd like to see what he can do in terms of attacking the basket or just trying to create, whether it's around screens or whatever else, um, or using a strength in isolation because he just doesn't do very much of that. And I'd like to see what he can do. But primary yeah, concern is injuries. Yeah, he is more cut and dry. I agree. And if at the NBA level, he's just a three-point shooter who can defend multiple positions, you know, cool. That's not bad. But it's not what you want of a top five pick. All right, moving on to uh, Benedict Matherin, who I feel like has a name that would belong to a villain from the French Revolution, but we're not going to hold that against him. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. I mean, I, th- I think he's a lot of fun. Uh, athletic 6'6", 195, 6'9", wingspan. Uh, he's averaging 17 and a half, 5.5, and then 2.5 on 46, 37.6, and 76% on free throws, 58.3% true shooting. And he's a lot more, he's, he's a much simpler player. He's kind of your prototypical athletic 3 and D, a uh, guy who can, you know, shoot motion threes, nice, you know, face up game. My problem with him, well, I'll talk a little bit more about him. He's, he's strong, he's athletic, he's going to attack the interior. Uh, good off ball mover, and he's he's attacking, but that's kind of where the, my, the beginning of my problem is with him, and it's that he when he gets stopped short, he tends to settle for not so not 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 the best offense. Like he'll he'll put up floaters, he'll put up maybe not ill advised shots, but he just doesn't get all the way to the rim. I think that's like the key difference between him and Ivy. If you're gonna comp those two guys, like Ivy gets all the way to the rim. Or he'll get really close, and he will still finish with finesse. Matherin, I feel like he just he doesn't have that yet. He doesn't have that finesse finishing, and he is not as effective uh, at the hoop. And if you're talking about you know the three and D and attack guy, the drive and kick offense, which I still think uh, we are, I think we are already starting to build towards. 
Um, I don't know how great he'll be at that. He definitely screams complimentary role player. Um, he does not have, I don't think he has, even with his athleticism, I just don't see star potential in him unless he becomes like a really dynamic shot maker. But again, I just, I don't see that kind of jump in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the tournament, I would, that's what I guess I'd watch for. Uh, is he going to expand his shot profile a bit? Is he going to continue to knock down motion threes? If we drop in the draft, I'd be very happy to end up with Matherin. I think he's a hard worker, a guy who, you know, shows some propensity for defense and attacking. And uh, that's always great, but I don't like the ceiling on him as much. And that's why I have him down this low. Yeah, just just to add some of the pros and cons. Uh, he has an excellent transition score, like fearless, physical, a good off-ball mover, cuts well, and he actually makes decent reads, uh, you know, solid reads and passes, generally not off the drive sometimes, but certainly from the perimeter. Like he is not just intending to shoot, uh, and he's he's fearless when he drives in. Uh, you know, he gets the, the free throw line a fair amount, and even though his percentage isn't very good this year, it was much better last season. Uh, he's, he's a sophomore, though he's only going to be around 20 at the draft. So... His cons, I don't think his defense is, is really quite there yet. Uh, he absolutely has the physical profile uh, to be a, a good wing defender. But I think it's more of a matter of focus, I guess. Uh, you know, Honestly, I'm, I'm drawing from the from the observations of, of others to a degree on this. I want to admit to that. I haven't watched him play defense all that much, so I can't really speak to that. But I know that he's not really at a point where he's quite 3 and D, but I think he could get there. So... Also, just assertiveness. You'd like to see him go hard into the interior because he can do that well. At this point, he's got limited agency on offense because he doesn't really do that all that often. So maybe you see another gear where he can be more of a takeover scorer. That's, I think, the only way when the, the it's the only way he'll exceed role player. And yeah, the, the Contavious Caldwell comp hurts. You know, it's been <laughs> I've, I've seen I've seen it make quite a bit. And the trouble is yeah. that I can't strongly disagree with it. Maybe he's smarter than KCP, who's definitely got decision-making issues and always has. But yeah, I just, that that one hurts. So I'd like to see more assertiveness from him in the NCAA tournament. I'd also really love to see him do well on defense against good players and big, you know, at big moments. Yep. If he can finish through contact in the tournament, I think that'll really help his draft stock. Because I think, you know, he gets a lot of falls. That's, that is true. But a lot of them are, you know, he's putting up really tough shots. Uh, he's He's been good at drawing fouls, getting his, you know, his shoulder into a guy and then going for it, but he doesn't get all the way there. I don't, I don't think it's great if you're relying on that, especially now at the, end, the next level where, you know, his athleticism isn't going to stand out as much. So that's what I'm looking for from him. Yeah. I think he's a, gr- a good role player, but I don't see I don't see star potential. There. Fair enough. Uh, all right, on to the last guy in this list, uh, the least favorite of both of us, which is Johnny <laughs> Davis. Uh, he plays at Wisconsin right now. Six foot five, about 195 pounds, uh, unknown wingspan, but... Uh, as far as I have read, looks to be average, about 20 at the draft and averaging 20 points, eight rebounds, two assists on 43 and a half from the field, less than 32% from three and uh, about 78% from the free throw line of 52 and a half percent true shooting. So as pros, he is versatile inside the arc, scores a lot, pretty good score at the NCAA level in the pick and roll, really good rebounder for his size, high effort and compete level and he's aggressive defender. His best of cons, uh, I'd say really outweighs pros. Shaky shooter. Like, you know, you're shooting south of 32%. That's a big question mark. So especially for kind of a score-first guy, and he is very much a score-first guy, really struggles to reach the rim even in the NCAA. He instead kind of moves, uh, he belongs more in the shot creator archetype, which means he takes a lot of difficult shots from the interior. 
really hard to make that efficient in the NBA. He doesn't even make it efficient in the NCAA. Uh, even though it's a lot of self, you know, self creation around screens. I mean, it's just a lot of fadeaway jumpers and long floaters, and it's going to be even harder to make that work in the NBA. Not, I, not great at setting up teammates. Not athletic by NBA standards. Not explosive. Not particularly quick. He finishes below the rim, and there, though he's a definitely competitor on defense. There, I think we have big questions about his defense against longer and more athletic NBA guards. Certainly, he'll struggle against forwards. So, I just think this is a guy uh, who is high volume, low efficiency. Uh, you know, as I'm talking about this, he kind of reminds me of kind of a much less athletic Monte Ellis, no, later on Monte Ellis, and that's not good. That's just not good at all. If the guy can shoot threes, he'll find a place in the league, but I don't think this is a high-ceiling prospect by any means. Yeah, I admittedly, Davis is probably the guy that I know the least about, and it's because whenever I try to watch his film, I, I get bored, um, and I, I'm, this is just me being as honest as I can, like, a couple of years ago when we were talking about the 2019 draft and I was trying to watch Killian film, uh, people who I talked to about the draft can attest to this. I just, I didn't see it with Killian. I, I would, I would literally get bored. I think it's because of the athleticism. Uh, Johnny Davis is not a Supreme athlete. He's getting a lot of his shots off with, you know, you know, step backs, good dribble moves. But I just think that at the next level, that's going to fall off a little bit. I don't know that he's going to be able to knock down those shots or get that separation uh, at the NBA level. If I was a fan of a college team, I would love him. Like you said, volume score, uh, not super efficient, but he makes his team better because he makes things for the players around him a lot easier. You know, you still have to dedicate quite a bit of attention to him because he's still going to get his points if you let him. But he shoots. But when I'm he thinking pass. about him, yeah. <laughs> when when I think no, like when I think about what he is at the next level. People talk about his fit with Cade as like a guy who's going to relieve some of the ball handling duties. Uh, I don't, I, I just don't see it. No. Um, maybe I'm entirely wrong about him. Like I said, I, he's probably the guy that I've watched the least amount on, uh, but it's because of the athleticism. I just don't see it translating all that well. And it's, it's physically boring to watch to me. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's really hard at the NBA level to be a shot creator, like a guy who just drives in and, uh, it fades away or whatever else, you know, like that, like Middleton, who attempts a, a ton of mid-range offense. Uh, Durant's a shot creator, but Durant is also Durant. <laughs> you know, guys like that, you got to be real good to make it worthwhile. And Davis isn't very good at it, even at the NBA, even at the NCAA level. I just don't like him. Maybe a bench guard, not a guy I think the Pistons should be interested in. But, you know, as far as what you like to see for him in the tournament, shooting, got to be able to shoot well, dude. Right now, he's he's just a high-volume, low-efficiency scorer. You know, so at least shoot well from the perimeter. At least shoot well in pull-ups, and then guys have to worry about you, but I still don't think he'd be more than a bench player. All right, moving on to the final guy. Uh, that's Shadon. He's unclear right now as to whether he'll be in the draft or not. So, Tommy, I don't know if you have much to say about Shadon. Um, that guy can basically... I really don't. Him. I mean, I, I've heard that he's like a fairly athletic wing player. He's got some shooting upside. He sounds like when... He sounds like somebody that the Pistons should be interested in uh, if they if he does declare. And I, you know, really, this isn't like analyzing his play, but I feel like he should. You know, like last year, I think BJ Boston had mm-hmm. like top three hype, and then he went and played at Kentucky, and he just decimated his draft position. He doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. He was terrible. Being a top, yep, he doesn't get he doesn't get that. And if he had just stayed out and declared. He probably could have just traded on his own and somebody would have taken him with a top 10 pick. He would have had all the resources that comes with that. He would have had the 
you know, the the benefit of the doubt. Like I was thinking about this, like just this is another tangent, but when you think about how badly Cade started off the year shooting wise, guys still defended him close because he had that reputation as like a good player uh, from his time at Oklahoma State. They still knew he was going to be good. And it was just a matter of when is this guy going to heat up? If he had been taken like a late as like a late first guy and come out and shot like that, he probably would have not gotten as much respect. You know, it, it would have he probably would have destroyed his minutes going forward. It's just stuff like that. I think I think Shaden should just enter while he yeah. has this top ten hype, while he has like this mysterious thing going on for him. I think yeah. is an asset for him. So I hope he declares because then this draft class gets more interesting and it's another potential good player. But yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So what we know about Shaden, I definitely haven't watched high school film on Shaden. I don't watch high school film on anybody <laughs> because if you're, I mean, there are guys who go into college and don't get drafted uh, who are unstoppable in high school. But uh, what I do know from, and this is through the auspices of Sam Bassini. So take that uh, for what you will, but I think highly of him. Uh, very good, but not elite, elite athleticism, pretty good burst, pretty good verticality, pretty good quickness, pretty good lateral movement. Good form in a shot, high percentage perimeter shooter in high school, accurate pull-up threat in high school, has the physical tools to be adept at attacking the rim and to be an aggressive multi-positional defender. The cons, we have no data outside of high school. This is what made me so uncomfortable about James Wiseman. We just have no data. So yeah, could make the draft more interesting. So as far as the projection, I think he'll go in also. Uh, this is a weak draft. He can be a top 10 pick. Like I would say almost certainly, unless he bombs the combine or people just hate him in interviews, in which case he can just go back to Kentucky. So um you know, you go into your pick number six, that's about $12 million guaranteed uh, because rookie salaries actually, uh, you can go up to 20% above the rookie salary scale. And if you're a top 10 pick, the team's going to pay you that. So uh, yeah, it's about $12 million guaranteed in your first two years. I agree. He could go in and really bomb his stock like Boston did. And even if he comes in and is decent, I mean, in what's projected to be a strong 2023 draft, he could go well outside the top 10 if he's not great. So uh, what he has right now is a no-risk proposition. You can declare, you can go into the combine, uh, declare early for the draft. As long as you don't hire an agent, you can withdraw by the, the NCAA draft withdrawal deadline, which is you have to withdraw from the draft in order to play in the NCAA the next season. That, in normal times, I believe is 10 days after the combine ends. So you go into the combine. If he does well, if he does well in his interviews, which I'm sure we'll hear about, then I would be very surprised if he went back. This would have to be a 19-year-old who is both like very much thinking about, Oh, I want to improve my game in the NCAA first and very confident in himself. So yeah, I, I hope he goes into is this could, if he's very strong in the combine, uh, this could be a guy the Pistons are interested in. And this could be a guy who both has a high ceiling and, and could be a good fit. Uh, all right. So we, we were going to do uh, listener submitted questions. Uh, we wrote those down. We'll save them for next time. Cause this episode has already gotten very long. We were also going to do a Tankathon sim. Uh, we'll probably do this later on. A Tankathon is just a site where you can basically hit the randomized button and it just you know spits out based on the odds, uh, a draft scenario. We're going to do this one because it was crazy. Uh, the Knicks jumped to the number one pick. Portland jumps to the number two. Sacramento jumps to number three. It's going to be terrible for the Pistons. There's about, I calculated the odds about uh, point, well, a website calculated the odds for me. About 0.085 chance of this actually happening. Uh, so... That would be fun. Of course, this is a nightmare scenario for the Pistons uh, picking sixth. So who knows? All right. Any closing thoughts? Yeah. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Um, follow us on Twitter at to the basket pod. If you see us on Reddit, throw us an upvote. And if you're on Spotify, 
rate us if you're on Apple, leave us a review if you are feeling kind. And again, yeah, thank you so much for uh, listening to us. Yeah, absolutely. All right, folks. Uh, so, yep, yeah, just want to echo what Tommy said. Uh, pretty much everything. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's already said it <laughs> thank all. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, we will see you in the next episode.